following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. Well, it is uh, great to be back with you all. And I um, haven't been here since winter of 2019. They've alluded to that. And boy, oh boy, has a lot gone on since then. Right in in our world, um, in my church and in in your church, things like significant growth. <laughs> I I don't know um, all of you. Um, I want to know all of you, but uh, those who who I I do know um, are very dear to me. As as the regional leader, I I carried the the churches in our region on my heart, and and this one was no. No exception, I still do, and and in particular, your elders are um, very dear to me. I, I don't have to tell you that um, you are in a very good place. I know I'm preaching to the choir, and and, and it's not not just not just pastors that make the church what it is. This is a great place because you're here, but um, but the the chief shepherd has delegated um, his care of his church to um, remarkable under-shepherds here. Um, the first time I visited, I, I looked this up, and it, it was almost 10 years ago now. And I, um, b- besides teaching on Sunday, I, I taught a men's meeting on a Saturday morning um, in the basement of what I believe was a church. I don't, I don't remember. What I do remember was the distinct smell of mold. Um, and my, how things have changed. Um, but it, it, it's, it's an honor to be with you now to, to worship over the word. Um, last time I was here, I preached from Psalm 100, um, a very different Psalm than the one I'm going to consider today. Today we're going to consider Psalm 88. So if you would Turn with me there or scroll to Psalm 88 and then and, and let's stand and, and read. Then I'll pray and we'll dive in. This is the word of the Lord. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. 
Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Let's pray. Well, Lord, I read a psalm like this, and I am so thankful that the success of this sermon does not depend on me. Your word is powerful. And thank you that when we ask, you give your spirit who illumines your word and um, gives the word transforming power. So you send your Holy Spirit to do that right now so that this word would accomplish all that you've ordained for it to accomplish for our good And for your eternal honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. Well, Perry said it when he made reference to um, the psalm this morning. It, It is a heavy psalm. Even when I was just reading it yet again, it's almost like you just want to say, okay, stop. Stop already, right? In fact, I, I would say it's unique in its heaviness, so much so that I I, uh, I made sure it was okay with Dave York that a guest preacher tackle it. I mean, so Psalm Psalm 88 is a hymn of lament, and you, you've been studying the Psalms this summer, so I don't have to rehearse all the different kinds of Psalms there are in in the Psalters. But um, as you know, so, Psalms of lament allow us to listen in as the uh, psalmist expresses to God his his anguish in the midst of his suffering and in the midst of opposition. We we hear. We hear pleas for deliverance and rescue and restoration. We hear declarations of hope in God, even in the midst of the most unthinkable suffering. Now, you might think that this psalm is unique in its heaviness, like I claimed, because it's a lament. But that's not why. There are lots of laments in the book of Psalms. If you're if you're newer to the Bible, you you might expect that the most common type of psalm would be a psalm of praise, like I preached from Psalm 100 last visit. But it's not. Laments are the most common type of song in the Psalter. One third of all the psalms fit the category of lament. So so this psalm, Psalm 88, is not unique in its heaviness because it's a lament. So what's unique about it? 
Well, it's unique because there's no resolution in this psalm. Did you notice that? When I read Psalm 88 begins with despair and ends in darkness. There's hardly a sadder chapter in the Bible. Other psalms of lament, can they contain statements of, of hope, right? They often end with a confession of confidence in God, even an outburst of praise. Psalm 13, which um, you looked at last week. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face? I'm drowning in sorrow and my enemy is exalting over me. I'm shaken to the point of death. That's the heart of the hymn. But then the psalmist writes, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. There's nothing like that in Psalm 88, which might lead to the question, well, then what's it doing in our Bible? I mean, we, we, we can ask that all we want, but it's there. And so it must be contended with. And and we contend with it as the word of God. It was God who inspired the psalmist to pray like this. And it was God who preserved this psalm in his book, which must mean that it's good for us to have Psalm 88. That's the reason it's here. Our good. So we're, we're going to begin by simply walking through the text, and, and we'll do that under three headings that align with the, the three times that the psalmist cries out to God. So we'll consider the cry of complaint. That's um, verses 1 through the first half, verse 9. Then the cry of questions. That's the second half of verse 9 through 12. And then the continued cry in verses 13 through 18. And then we're going to move to application, and I have more headings that I'll share when we get there. So first, the cry of complaint, verses 1 through the first half of verse 9. Let, let, let's begin by focusing just on the first two verses. V- verse 1 is the closest thing that we have to an expression of hope in the entire psalm. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Now, the Hebrew word that gets translated here, salvation, can also mean welfare or prosperity. Um, or, or it can be translated deliverance. Oh, Lord, God of my welfare. Oh, Lord, God of my deliverance. Now, w- when we consider that opening address to God in the context of the rest of the psalm, we see a dim light of hope. The, the psalmist knows that God is a sovereign Savior. He, he knows just enough to keep him from utter despair. Right? He knows God is there, and so he begs him to hear him and to answer his cry. He's continually crying out to God day and night. He doesn't stop. He doesn't stop begging God to hear and to answer. Now, let's look at the cry itself, his prayer, beginning in verse 3. Notice as we walk through it that though it's clear that this man is 
really suffering. It's not clear what the suffering is. There are no specifics about the situation, the circumstances. We're left to, to wonder, maybe make some informed guesses, but that, that's not what we're mainly left to do. We're mainly left to make universal application of this psalm. It's not limited in its reach to people suffering in a particular way. That That's the good news, which I trust we'll see even more clearly as we apply the sermon in just a little while. Look at the psalmist's complaint. That's what this is. He, he's laying out his complaint before the Lord. And for the first part of the complaint, his pronouns are all I and my. His soul is Full of troubles. He's drawing near to shield. Now, that word full um, is full like when you eat too much. His soul is stuffed with troubles. He's drawing near to shield, the place of death. When, when he talks about going down to the pit, beginning in verse 4, he probably means the, the grave. This trial is tapped, all his strength, verse 4. He mentions the dead and the grave specifically in verse 5. Perhaps this was some type of horrible illness that he expected to take his life, or maybe he's speaking metaphorically, and he's just expressing the sense that this trial is so hard that it feels to him like he's going to die. Then in the second half of verse 5, the pronouns shift. From I, my, to you, yours. He's telling God how he feels. Do you even remember me? I'm cut off from you. Verse 6, you put me in this pit. This affliction feels like a grave. You put me here, and it's dark, and it's deep. I feel like you're angry with me, verse 7. You're flooding my life with more than I can handle. You're, you're the one that makes my friends shun me because you have made me a horror, verse 8. And I see no hope for escape. I've cried until I can't see, verse 9. Can you relate? to the psalmist? Have you ever been so overwhelmed with despair in the midst of your circumstances that you didn't know if you were going to make it? Are you there now? Maybe trapped, it seems, in unrelenting, unremitting depression. Does God seem deaf and mute to you? Right? Do, do you cry out and receive no answer? Does there appear to be no escape from the trial? Just years of anguish ahead. I mean, it, there is such a thing as double darkness. It, it's dark on the outside, right? Our, our circumstances are, are grim, and it's dark on the inside. There's a spiritual darkness, and it's it's deep, and that double darkness is horrible. It's horrific, right? And, and th- that's what the psalmist is experiencing when he writes. And if you are too, you're not alone. Now let's look at the cry of questions. Second half of verse 9 through verse 12. No- notice again in verse 9, Every day I call upon you, 
O Lord. I spread out my hands to you, right? He doesn't stop praying. Desperate prayers, right? This is his posture, Arms raised to the heavens. The the psalmist is having what um, the Puritan John Owen called hard thoughts about God. He's expressing in, in his desperate prayers what he perceives to be true. Now, it's true that God is sovereign over all our suffering, but the psalmist is doubting that there could possibly be a purpose when God remains silent. And then he turns his hard thoughts into questions. Verses 10 through 12. Now, I have to be careful here not to trip up on the psalmist's view of the afterlife in these verses. God saw fit over the ages to reveal his truth, the contents of his book, the Bible, progressively. So the psalmist didn't know what we now know about what happens when you die. But that's not really the, the point here. What he's doing is he's telling God what attributes of his would be rebe- revealed if he simply gave relief, which the psalmist believes God can do. If this thing kills me, Lord, no one is going to see you work wonders. If, if you don't rescue me, I cannot give a testimony of praise to your power. If you let me linger in anguish, who's going to see your love and your faithfulness and your righteousness? Your reputation is at stake, Lord, in the depth and darkness of my trouble. And we pray like that sometimes, don't we? Lord, why does this marriage have to be so hard? And wouldn't it be better for us, for the kids, if you broke in and just made us more humble and loving and understanding? If only he cared. If if only she showed interest. Wouldn't that help our marriage better display the gospel, your love for your people? Lord, why why am I alone? Wouldn't it be better if he was still here? to disciple his children and be an example of godliness to his grandchildren? Wouldn't I be more useful to you without all this crippling grief and with him by my side? Lord, why why don't you just take the pain away? I know you can do it. What a powerful testimony to tell of your your work, your power and miracles. Wouldn't it permit me to serve in the church more effectively if I wasn't in this pain? Lord, why don't you save my child? I've been crying out for the sake of her soul for years. Wouldn't it bring a deeper joy and faith to our family and our friends and our church? Couldn't you do with one more worshiper Wouldn't it declare the power of your gospel to save sinners? We all, we all have questions, don't we? We, we have whys. And it's okay in humility to ask God why. And he continues to ask why in verses 13 through 18. So last heading now, the cry. Continues verse 13 again, but I, O Lord, cry to you in the morning. My prayer comes before you. He begins every day crying out to God and still verses 14 through 18. Why do you cast me away? 
Why do you remove the sense of your presence from me? All I'm aware of is my helplessness in the flood of troubles that overtake me. I cannot keep my head above water. Lord, I'm going to drown. So he's just, he's rehearsing again the same complaints. He cannot remember a day before this trial. He, he, he looks up to God and he, and he's terrified. And he looks out to others and he feels shunned and betrayed. His only friend is darkness. Hello, darkness, my old friend. And, and darkness is, is literally the last word of this psalm in Hebrew. It, it all begins in despair and the end is darkness and it's all despair and darkness in between. So why is this psalm in the Bible? Why did God inspire the psalmist to pray this way? And why did he preserve it for us? What's the purpose? How ought this hymn of lament function in our lives? I have four answers to that question by way of application. We're we're, going to bring this saddest of all psalms to bear on our lives. So how ought Psalm 88 function in our lives? First answer. It ought to help us see that the psalmist's cry is our cry. By which I mean, we might just find ourselves in a similar condition. Praying the same way. Some of you are there. Some of you will be. We all suffer. But for some it seems unrelieved suffering. An unending trial. Lifelong grief. That, that is all a very real possibility for real Christians, for true believers. Sometimes we find ourselves in a deep pit of darkness and doubt, crying out to a God who seems to be indifferent to our agony. That doesn't merely happen to young, immature Christians. That happens to mature, seasoned wise saints. Now, on what basis do I make that claim? The answer is on the basis of who wrote Psalm 88. I've been referring to him as the psalmist, but we know his name. It's right there in the heading over the the psalm. He's Heman, the Ezraite. One of the psalmists referred to as the sons of Korah. And you can read about him in the historical books of First and Second Chronicles. He's there, right? The, the, there we learn that he was a Levitical singer and musician, songwriter in Israel. He was a worship leader. Right? And, and you might be thinking, ah, I get it now, the artistic type, moody. But, but that's not my point, right? My, my point is that um, he was chosen by God to lead Israel in giving thanks. First Chronicles 16.41. First Chronicles 25.1 says that he prophesied. In fact, in the same chapter, he's referred to as the king's seer, the king's prophet, right? We, we also find out that he had 14 sons and three daughters. So this dude's a dad. First Corinthians, First Chronicles 25.6 says that his children were under the direction of their father in providing music in the Lord's house. 
in Second Chronicles 5.12, when the Ark of the Covenant is brought into the just-completed temple in Jerusalem, Heman is standing there near the altar with 120 priests. So what's my point? This is a mature believer. This is a leader in Israel. This is a servant of the king. He, he's responsible to lead God's people in worship, and he writes the songs they use in worship, including this one. This is a guy who has his devotions every day. Even in the deepest darkness, he never stops crying out to God. His doctrine is sound. His songs, including this one, were uniquely inspired by God and stand with the rest of God's word contained in the Bible. That's the guy who wrote this psalm. And his experience is not uncommon. His experience is not foreign to true believers. His experience, your experience of deep, double darkness is not necessarily a sign of God's disapproval. It's not evidence that you're spiritually immature. It's not an indication that God has cast you away. You know what it is? It's proof that we live in a sin-cursed world of futility and no one including Christians, escape the consequences. It is an Ecclesiastes world. I think Perry said it's a Genesis 3 world. It's both those. Uh, Psalm 88 is the Ecclesiastes of the Psalter. So this psalm should function to adjust our expectations. And what I say next, I don't say to be funny. I say it because it's true. You might be tempted to to chuckle, but here's what's true. Every day is a bad day. Every day is a bad day on a planet, in a universe subjected to futility because of sin. Is that your expectation when you open your eyes in the morning? I'm more than likely going to bump into something unpleasant today. I mean, it, 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 it may be the first day of a prolonged and agonizing suffering. And I'm, I'm not being cynical. I think I'm being a realist, right? How can we expect anything other than that in this life under the sun, having read the Bible? Right? If, if, if we want to live in a fantasy life where, where we just naively go out the door every day expecting that all will go well for me, after all, I'm a king's kid, then we just have to rip out pages of the Bible, including this one. A whole lot of pages from the Bible. If you want to go through life with the expectation that you deserve the good life, here and now, and doggone it, I'm going to have the good life because I'm a good person. Nope. Heman helps us. He helps us here adjust our expectations to this. Every day is a bad day in a sin-cursed world. That's just being a biblical realist. Now, having said that, hear this. 
we can be happy realists, right? Happy realists know that we deserve nothing good. Happy realists expect a bad day, but they know that God's mercies, his undeserved favor and blessing are new every single morning. Life is filled with God's good gifts for us to enjoy on bad days. I mean, if, if we don't adjust our expectations, we're going to be mightily disillusioned when the unexpected suffering comes. Um, we're, we're going to turn dangerously bitter when the friend turns on us. Life is hard every single day. And for some, it's unspeakably hard. But suffering and hardship and pain and opposition and persecution are not the exception. They're the norm. Right? That, that's the message of the Bible. And if we don't get that down, we won't make it to the end. And it's there across the finish line where there's fullness of joy and pleasures forever in God's presence. And we won't fully enjoy the light and blessing here and now as it breaks through the darkness of every bad day. Now, that is not to say that we're to go through life like a stoic, right? Unaffected by trials and afflictions. This psalm wouldn't exist if that's what God expects of us. God gives us permission in Psalm 88 to feel and to express our feelings when we hurt, to express to him, to ask why. And the very existence of this psalm is a testimony to God's patient grace. He knows us. He knows our frame. He remembers we're dust. He knows how things will affect us. He knows it will hurt. And he knows that it will skew our view of reality. And yet he invites us to cry out to him. One last thing to say here. The fact that we know the psalmist's name points to purpose in our suffering. Think about this. Heman wrote down his anguished cry to the Lord. He didn't understand what was happening to him and why. And here we are, centuries after his death, gleaning wisdom and insight and help and grace because he went through a long, hard trial and wrote about it. And think about all the people who have been and will continue to get grace from Psalm 88. God's plan for human suffering was way bigger than human could have ever imagined. His plan for our suffering may be beyond our comprehension as well. This cry of Psalm 88 is our cry. Next way the psalm functions in our life is to help us help those who cry. If if you're not living in Psalm 88 right now, great, praise God, right? But you're more than likely in the vicinity of someone who is, right? So let's learn from this Psalm how to help those who cry like Heman cried. And first we have to remember the, the point I already made. Mature Christians 
who read their Bible and pray, strive to live a life of obedience, who have good, sound doctrine, including their doctrine of God's sovereignty and human suffering, sometimes they find themselves badly beaten up by giant despair and locked in Doubting Castle. It's like Pilgrim from Pilgrim's Progress. The the worst thing we can be to someone in despair is condescending. Uh, Instead, we ought to be patient and compassionate. You might find yourself, I might find myself in the grip of giant despair one day. It's good to think about how we'd want to be treated when that happens. So Sometimes all we need to do to help is to weep with those who weep. Romans 12, 15. Sometimes, I'd even say a lot of the time, an exhortation is not the best thing. Sometimes, I would say most of the time, a theological explanation of Romans 8.28 is not what would help most immediately. Sometimes it's silence. Sometimes a hug. Sometimes a meal. I can't say it any better than uh, scholar author D.A. Carson says it in his book on suffering, How Long the Lord. Here's what he wrote. Anyone who has suffered devastating grief or dehumanizing pain has at some point been confronted by near relatives of Job's miserable comforters. They come with their cliches and tired, pious mouthings. They engender guilt where they should be administering balm. They utter solemn truths when where compassion is needed. They exhibit strength and exhort to courage where they would be more comforting if they simply wept. And we'll know. We'll know. The Spirit will prompt us. We'll know when it's time to speak the truth in love. We'll know, remember if you've read Pilgrim's Progress, we'll know when it's time to pull out the key of promise and unlock the prison of giant, the prison of giant despair. And just a little bit of light dispels a lot of darkness. Here's what I mean. The next purpose of this psalm that I'll mention is this. It teaches us that this cry, human's cry, is the cry of faith. Now, it's fair to ask, how in the world can you say that, Rick, when it is full of despair and darkness? How, how can a cry of anguish be a cry of faith? How, how can, how can um, just speaking your hard thoughts about God be an act of faith? Answer, Heman knows that God is his deliverer. Right, That only with God will he find welfare and safety. And though he's not experiencing deliverance from his trial, though he doesn't feel safe, though he doesn't really feel God's presence at all except to assault him, though that's his experience, that's how he feels, he never stops crying out to God because of whom he knows God to be. Right, He clings to what he knows to be true. The Lord is the God of his salvation. And that gives him just enough strength. It gives him just enough light to cling even in the darkness. He's still in the pit, 
He's in deep double darkness. His prayers are going unanswered from what he can tell. Yet he still calls out, why? Why? Because he trusts that only God can rescue and restore. Only God can give hope. See, when we, when we go into the darkness, especially this kind of double darkness where, where prayer just seems to give nothing in return, we have to have faith. We have to hold firm to what we know to be true about God. I mean, th- th- this is why when, when the Spirit prompts, we do speak the truth to those who are in deep darkness. We, we, we have to, we have to grip with all our might under the fact that He is the God of our salvation or we just give up and fall away. To be beaten and bruised and not understand why and not even know if it will ever stop in this lifetime and yet still cry out to the God of my salvation, that is a miracle of faith. Right? And I would contend that a Christian enduring ongoing suffering, yet still clinging to what he knows to be true, still crying out to God, I, I think that's a greater miracle than even healing or deliverance from the trial. And when we do that, when, when we cling to what we know to be true, when, even when we're not feeling it, right, and, and cry out to God, even when he seems to not be listening, that's flexing the muscle of faith. And as we exercise that muscle of faith in the deep darkness, it just gets stronger and stronger. What that means is, is, is we can get up off our, our knees after an hour of prayer, feel no hope. Has that ever happened to you? Right? Devotions just, they don't take. Yet that time on your knees was an exercise of faith that's strengthening you. Right? God, God is saying to some of you this morning, sing this song with Heman and trust me. Cry out to me. I'm making you stronger than you realize. I'm pressing down on a piece of coal in order to make a diamond. Finally, this cry of Heman in Psalm 88 functions in our life by pointing us to the cry, Christ's cry from the cross. Now, we know some things that the psalmist didn't know. We know that darkness does not have the last word. It, it, it doesn't get the last word because God sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus, the light of the world, came willingly to be the God of our salvation. And he did it by facing the ultimate darkness for us in our place for three hours, hanging on a cross, suspended between earth and heaven. Christ endured eternal darkness, the eternal damnation for the sins of all his people. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He he got the deepest darkness he, he got God's real wrath. He was truly a- abandoned so that 
our darkness will one day end so that we will never know what it's like to suffer the righteous anger of God so that God will never abandon us. Think of it. Christ had every opportunity to abandon us. He could have fled the garden with the other disciples. He could have called down every angel of heaven to destroy every Jewish leader and Roman official conspiring against him. He could have stepped off the cross without enduring death for our sin, but he didn't. He did not abandon us in his darkest moment. Why would he abandon us in our darkest moment? He won't. He loves us. In fact, because of the darkness and wrath and abandonment he endured, all our suffering now produces for us an eternal weight of glory, which we will experience because God will work wonders for the dead. He will raise us up to praise him. We will know his steadfast love and faithfulness and righteousness beyond the grave because Christ rose from the dead. And so we can be sure that our resurrection is coming. And if if resurrection is what awaits us, then we can be spared utter despair since there's nothing that ails us that a good resurrection won't cure. Let's pray. Well, Lord, do what I, I can't do and, and drive this truth home to us, burn it into our minds and grant that it would take that 18 inch drop into our hearts, that it would stir affections for us and that it would work itself out in a changed life. Let your truth transform us, we pray for our good and your glory in Jesus name. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.